in one of the American TV shows called The, the Office. There is you follow a, a paper company through the working days and years. And there you're endeared to uh, the manager, Michael Scott, who is in many ways hapless and helpless, but a lovable and clueless character. And as this time goes on, he decides that he's going to leave the company and he plays up a little bit of organising a party for himself for his very last day. And people are excited and maybe for different reasons that we might be excited our boss in the past might have left. But then, the, but actually what happens, uh, they're planning this party, say for the Friday, he decides to sneak off on the Thursday, the day before. And then it's a big surprise and an unexpected turn, if you like, for the people in the office. And Jacob, he does something a wee bit similar to that, doesn't he? As soon as the people's backs are turned, Jacob is gone. As soon as Laban is busy doing something else, he's given no word of warning that Jacob's going to go. As soon as Laban's in the, the, the hills shearing the sheep, Jacob's going to run for the hills. And we've seen Jacob throughout doing all these different tricks, haven't we? Whether it be dressing up like his brother Esau or giving him some red stew. But he also has been tricked, hasn't he, by Laban. He had to work seven years to marry Rachel. And then he discovers that he didn't marry Rachel at all, but Leah. And he has to work another, work another seven years. And in between chapters 29, where we ended last week, and 31, we see there that Leah begins to have children. And Rachel is really jealous. Rachel's really upset. She is unable to have children. And their servants even are given to Jacob. And he has children with their maids as well. But Leah has many sons by the end. And between the three ladies, Leah and these two servants, we have ten sons and one daughter. And then finally, at the end of Genesis 30, Rachel has Joseph. And Laban throughout this scene and these children being the born has not treated Jacob well at all. Jacob has wanted some payment and Laban says to him, well, what do you want? And Jacob says, give me the spotted animals or the, the streaky animals. In other words, Jacob said to Laban, look, I'll take the rubbish ones, the ones that aren't really that good. And Laban says, well, this is a great deal. We'll do that, deal. So out of all Laban's flocks, what does he do? Laban, before Jacob goes through them to pick out the spotted ones, Laban goes and takes all the spotted ones away so that there's nothing there for Jacob to pick up. <laughs> but then what happens is then that Jacob brings them, brings out in the rams to make spotted, um, spotted sheep, basically. And Jacob is blessed by the Lord as all these good sheep end up with spotted and mottled and streaky backs on them and throughout we can get that feeling that the relationship with Laban is really not good how could it be good with your father-in-law he had worked 14 years for and 20 by this point and have nothing really to show for it and this is our, our first thing this morning we are to be listening to the Lord's leading listening to the Lord's leading so chapter 30 and into verses 1 and 2, we can see that these are really unsettling circumstances for, for Jacob and his family. So the, the people are, the, Laban's extended family are saying, Jacob's taken all of our wealth. And then verse 2, Jacob says that Laban does not regard him with favour. 
See, there's these push factors, isn't there, that are, are pushing Jacob away. The not feeling loved, the, the being cheated constantly, having your wages changed all the time, and Laban's face turns away. You know, we, we know the scripture, we sing it, right, ironic blessing occasionally, the Lord bless us and keep us in the Lord's face shine. That idea of God, the face turned towards us, that there's blessing. Well, Laban's face is turned away, so it's like an element of cursing, isn't it? But even in the midst of these unsettling circumstances, God speaks through his word, doesn't he? God speaks. And yes, there's all these outward factors that are really significant, but the action is to be determined by what God says. In verse 3, the Lord says to Jacob, return to the land. The Lord says, go home. See, it's important how we are engaging with God's word, isn't it? Jacob didn't allow what Laban was doing to, to determine his action at this point. He waits. He doesn't allow the outside factors to determine his action, but God's words. And that's how we are to respond to God's word. Not worrying about the outside factors that might be pushing us to do something or a way, but allowing God's word to determine our actions. Whether it's our families, how we engage with our siblings perhaps now, or how we raise our children. The relationships that we have, that we are respectful of one another, that we listen to the Lord and are led by him and not listening to outsiders and are being led astray. For we know, don't we, as Jacob faces these unsettling moments, we too face them all the time. Unsettling moments at home with our families, or or maybe it's an illness, with our work and our finances. Well, here is God's word, and we have to listen to it. But sometimes we hear God's word, and we just don't respond. God speaks to Jacob. It's God speaking to us this morning as well. 20 years, God has promised Jacob to take him home. <laughs> 20 years he has waited for God to speak to him again. So where are you in this? Where were you 20 years ago? Where you nowhere, but now you're heading home to, to be with God. Are you still nowhere? It's always say is God speaks through his word, but God calls his people as well. Verses 11 and 13, as Abraham was called by God, so is Jacob here. In his dream, verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to me, Jacob, Jacob, he's called by name. God calls all of his people by name. As Jesus says that the sheep know his voice, they, they follow me. And God calls Jacob to himself. But he also calls us to himself as well. He calls us to, to go and to serve as well. So what are we doing? How can we serve? Where is our calling leading us to go or to do? For we're to be listening to the Lord's leading. Yes, that call to follow him ultimately, to change our direction in life. We are to listen to his word, to avoid sin, to act in faith and serve him as well. See, the Lord, he's working in Jacob's life, isn't he? Laban is against him. His wives, the sisters, they do not get on. 
The Lord says to Jacob, you have to go through his circumstances. He literally says the words, Jacob, it's time to go. But it's all confirmed. How? Because believe it or not, the two wives actually agree on something. <laughs> the wives agree that it's time to go. They look at the situation. They say, yeah, our dad doesn't love us anymore. He hasn't looked at us once. He's not giving us. He's not providing for us. As Jacob speaks to him, to them, he knows and they know. They see their father's attitude and they decide to go. And as they go, there's a couple of problems along the way. And the first one is this, doing the right thing the wrong way. Doing the right thing the wrong way. Jacob can't help himself, sure he can't. He is scheming again. He is not straight but sneaky. We have quite a long list by now. And Jacob scarpers as soon as Laban is gone. And there's that element even within us, isn't there, that old habits die hard. Old habits die hard. You know, we know what it is to live the path of a Christian life. But there's still the old man in us, the old woman in us, still shows up and shows herself or himself up. You know, something happens and our tempers flare and we know that's wrong. Our tongues wag and the things that we say about people or how we say it. Our anger returns, our attitude changes. And Jacob has met with God. He begins to change, but he just can't help himself. We're a wee bit like that too. He knows it's the right thing to do, to listen to God here and to go. But he goes about it all the wrong way, doesn't he? And we can do that as well, can't we? We've followed the Lord Jesus. We're doing the right thing. But then we can be doing it all wrong at the same time. You know, in our, in our serving, in our, our worship as we gather here, in our, our reading, we, we show up, we serve and we sing. But our hearts aren't right. It's not with the right attitude. There's no joy. There's no thought of who God really is. And we just turn up and manage to go through it we we just pray we sing we do all these things we don't have the right attitude we do the right things in the wrong ways and we worshiping the lord with all of our hearts see as they do this runner they have three days uh, head start and by this point uh, we know that laban catches up and it might seem hard how can laban catch up in this situation well we have to imagine there's many boys, was there 11 boys and one daughter? Can you imagine all that journey? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? 500 miles to go, 495 miles to go, all day, every day. Toilet breaks, they're stopping in every corner shop to get some sweets to load up in the car home or in the caravans and the camels up. And they finally, Laban catches up. But as they are going and as we get this insight into Laban and Jacob really having a disagreement here quite clearly. We have Rachel especially pretending to do the right thing. And something we do, pretending to do the right thing. So let's paint the picture, not be hard. Imagine you're back in school and you hate revision again. Okay, And you're in the house and um, mum and dad are, are there and they're expecting you to revise. You're sitting at the desk, and well, now you're on your phone, but you hear the footsteps coming up the stairs, and the phone goes into the drawer, and you get the pencil out, and then you start to read, and to write something out. You're just letting on. You're just pretending, aren't you? You might be pretending to fall asleep, to, to listen to something. And well, Rachel, she goes with Jacob, 
But she doesn't, she's only pretending to do the right thing in this day. Because what does she do in verse 19? Verse 19, we read there that um, Rachel stole her father's household gods. She hangs on to her idols here. Rachel clings on and you know, these idols, what, what, maybe they're for superstition, maybe it was for luck on the journey, maybe it was a bit of sentimentality. She was hoping to get a blessing from Garab and these idols. And it didn't work, did it? Because Daddy shows up and catches up. And as catches up and speaks with, with Jacob, Laban searches for the idols and she, she tricks her dad. She says, I'm on my period. And we'll come back to that. Because in verse 19, it seems a wee bit random that Rachel grabs these idols. But it's a wee bit like, you know, you're watching a, a movie and somebody in, something in the background, somebody's sitting on a bench reading the paper. And it doesn't seem to have anything to do with what's going on. But later, it comes back round as a narrative arc that they're pretty important in the story. And Rachel taking these idols is going to be pretty important and helpful for us as we link back round to it later. But Rachel, she hangs on to these idols because they mean something to her. She doesn't want to let go of them. And these are household gods. We don't have household gods, or I hope not, pictures up in our walls or little statues. But what are our household gods? It's the, the shopping endlessly, isn't it? Those th- the things that we, we love to do. The worshipping of our children or our grandchildren. Our social commitments or even our opinions that we hold on to and we stand firm in them. Whenever they don't agree with the gospel. Rachel steals these. Sentimentality, protection, it didn't work. So the question is, what is it that we always hold on to? What is it that holds us back in our faith where we're pretending to do the right thing? As individuals. Even as a family or even as a church. What idols do we hold on to that prevents our progress in the faith? Because here Laban catches up and he's looking for these idols. He wants them. That's what drives him to go after Jacob. And it holds the family back. We are so concerned with our comforts. We want love to keep hold of our grudges against others and our hatred. And they hold us back. For some they get in the way altogether. So that they don't even get going on this journey at all. And it's just pretend the whole thing. Pretending to be following Jesus as we turn up the church. As we go to the orange. As we do these good things. We have no notion about Jesus. You're just pretending to do the right thing. Genesis 35, these gods that Rachel has, they're going to be dumped under a tree. And, well, that's going to happen to all our idols, whether it be landfill or skips or scrapyards. It's all going to be burned up and rotted away because of everything, we're going to leave it all behind. And Jesus says we're to look forward to this heavenly treasure, to set our minds on what lasts, which is him. So don't pretend to do the right thing. By coming to church or even serving or just being a Protestant. But love Jesus. Laban has been working his way through all these tents. 
And he's had no success. And Jacob doesn't realize this. We, we know that. But Jacob has a go at Laban then, doesn't he? He has this really harsh disagreement and conflict. And Jacob is letting know Laban how exactly he feels. That it's, Jacob has done all this hard work. It's been costly to him. He's been cheated dear knows how many times. And Jacob is reminding himself, Laban and us, that everything we have is from God. See, remember last week, Jacob kind of forgotten about God. He had met with God. He, he goes to the well and there's no mention of God as he marries Rachel and Leah. As he, he, he just doesn't give God a second thought. But here we start to see Jacob's faith coming forward a little bit. Jacob knows if it was down to Laban, he would have nothing. Everything Laban had, despite of all of Jacob's hard work, was a blessing from God. So in verse 5 of this chapter, what does Jacob say? Jacob says, um, I see what your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. Verse 8, that the God has taken away the livestock of Laban and has given them to me. Verse 16, his wives Talking to, uh, to his wives, all the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us. Now then, do whatever God has said to you. Verse 42. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you from last night. If the God of my father had not been on my side, surely I would have been empty-handed. Jacob is saying, everything, Lord, I now know. Everything I have is from you. That's the same for us. Whether we've got one penny in our bank account or one million pounds. Yes, you might have worked hard. You might have thought you've made it. But no, God made you. Laban gets on talking about his stuff there, doesn't he? He's like the parable that Jesus tells about the rich man and his barns. He talks about my grain, my wealth, my work. I'm going to build bigger barns for me. I'm going to eat, drink and marry, be merry. And what does Jesus say? You fool. Don't be a fool. Recognize everything we have is from the Lord. And as Jacob and Laban have it out, as it were, in this conversation, a covenant is made. Jacob wins the argument, but Laban wants still to look good, and he's going to say, we're going to have peace here. Really, what Laban is saying, that Jacob is no longer a servant of his or a slave. He's going to set him apart and let him live his own life. And God is going to be their witness. He is going to watch. And it's so that they would enjoy peace. And Laban he has this covenant. He talks about different gods there. But Isaac, or Jacob is talking about the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's now beginning to demonstrate his trust in the one true God. And throughout Genesis 31 here we have a, a shadow of what is to come. Because clearly here there's a big conflict on opposite sides of Jacob and Laban. Whether it be Laban's gods, his idols, or the one true God. And Rachel, she steals the gods. Why? Because it's important. It's important what she does with the gods. What does she do with the gods? She sits on them while she's having her womanly time, it says in Scripture. 
Why is that important? Well, we move forward through Scripture. A woman on her period, if she sat on anything, it became unclean. So what is made unclean as Rachel sits on the tent of the idols? The idols. God is saying to us, these idols that Rachel is sitting on, they are unclean. But look at what happens here. Look how God of, the, of power has been at work throughout. And it is he who has transformed Jacob. He landed in Paddan Aram with what? He didn't even have a pillow to lie his head on. He had nothing. He was in rags. And now he leaves with all these goats and a family. He's been incredibly blessed and he leaves with riches. For 20 years he's been enslaved by Laban. But now he is free. For 20 years he's been under the affliction. He tells us over and over again. But now he enjoys peace. How? Why? Not because of Laban. Because of God's grace. Verse 11, Jacob tells us it's the angel of the Lord visited him. Who? Well, as Jacob is on his deathbed, blessing his sons and Joseph, in Genesis 48, verse 16, he says this. God has been my shepherd all of my life to this very day. The angel who has redeemed me. Angels don't redeem, do they? Who redeems? It's Jesus. Jacob, like us, is redeemed by Jesus. He doesn't have the full picture. He doesn't understand who this angel of the Lord is, but we do. Who is Jesus? The one who leaves the riches of heaven to put on the rags. The one who is imprisoned, whipped and beaten, who endured a great affliction, who is led by the Lord. Who listens to the Lord. Who asks of the Lord. Take this cup from me. Not will my will but yours. But he does the right thing. The right way. As he is nailed to that cross. To take the rags of our sin. Jesus. Riches to rags. Ascended into riches again. And what about us? We were the rags of our sin. But in Jesus we are lifted to the riches of heaven. We are enslaved by our sin, but by the power of God, we are free from our sin because of what Jesus has done from us. The affliction that we face in all of life, the pain and the suffering, Christ grants us a peace that surpasses understanding and an eternal peace to come. And we who are unclean, with all our little idols that we love to sit around and gather around us, we are made clean by his blood, by the Lamb, Without spot or blemish. Everything we have is from God, isn't it? The very breath in our lungs to the eternal life bought with his blood. Listen to his voice. Listen to God's word today. Don't just pretend to be following Jesus. But let's leave behind the idols. Trust and serve the one. And I pray that you too could say like Jacob who's been my shepherd all of my days and has redeemed me. Let's pray.